my goal. Banana, banana, bow by goal. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I was on a call with someone the other day who's a listener to the pod, and I got to say hi, how are you to them as like a thing. And it was uh, very fun to be able to sort of like whip that one out. Oh, that's nice. I'm fine, but the nation. <laughs> well, you didn't have to tell me that. That's why I never ask Michael, hi, how are America? Yeah. Because we all know. Well, I will say this. I've been thinking about our pod mm-hmm. in light of the tragedies that have happened this week, last week, and mm-hmm. how we're living in like a fucked up, nihilistic, hopeless, low trust society. And I just really like that our pod is trying to provide an alternative. I At least I hope it is an alternative to the sort of just nihilistic consuming shit that's out there that kind of poisons everything and that there's something happening here what it is isn't exactly clear but i don't know i just like that about the pot yeah i mean i think of us and myself in general as trying to provide as much as possible a source of like joy and spiritual nourishment Mm -hmm. in whatever way i can you know there are people out there who are a lot smarter than me saying smart and important things about the current events of the world and i'm happy to be holding down you know my other little corner of the tent trying to give people an opportunity to learn a little something and hopefully laugh a little bit along the way yeah yeah anyway i just i'm appreciative of the podcast and i'm appreciative of the ritual of creating it and Mm -hmm. the meaning that it brings me Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. And I had a nice time with Skeeter. We sat on the porch. I ate a burrito. That's so cute. And I've, I've been identifying flowers with my wildflower guidebook. That's cute. I thought you were about to say I've been identifying flowers with my wife. And I was like, that would have been a bold thing to say. Identifying flowers with them. Oh, wow. Oh, I see. I see. Because wildflower. Yeah, yeah only because it started with the same syllable. And, you know, I've always got that on the brain. <laughs> You know how bitches be. Any news about... No, nothing to say about that. Okay. Here's what I have to say. My secondary hi, how are you question to you Uh is did you watch that thing you're supposed to watch? No, but I will. Or did you betray me? Because I want to make that episode next week. Okay, we're going to make the episode next week. Should we just say what the episode is? Yeah, I'm going to say it now. Okay, um, say it. Before we talk about how high am I. We are going to uh, start a little experiment next week. We're going to do some episodes about the hit television show Russian Doll. For those of you who don't know, Russian Doll is a show made and starred in by Natasha Lyonne, a wonderful, beautiful Jewess, and it has many Jewish themes and many non-Jewish themes. It's a very brilliant piece of media. Basically, we've been trying to think of some new and fun stuff to do on the show. And I think one of the fundamental things that makes Hi, How Are You? What it is, is we take existing formats like an interview and we sort of inject Talmud into them to create something entirely new. So now we're going to try doing that with like media discussion and we're going to do it with Russian Doll and we're going to see how it goes. So we hope that you all will like that. So we're going to do episode one of season one. Right. So if you want to be up on it, if you haven't seen it already, watch episode one, season one of Russian Doll before the main episode next week, because we're going to talk about it and I'm going to bring Talmud texts relevant to the themes and 
it'll just be super fun. All right, great. Hi, how are you, Havo? Hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem. I'm well. I'm very sleep deprived. Uh, I did not sleep well last night. Uh, we were staying at my boyfriend's mom's house watching her dog, and I am a sensitive sleep baby. And so I had a really hard time sleeping. So I'm really tired. But otherwise, I'm good. I think just because I'm sleep deprived, I've had this weird feeling all day of like, you know, that feeling that like, oh, there's something going on somewhere I'm supposed to be paying attention to, but I can't remember what it is. I think it's just a particular form of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. But like, I've just had that feeling all day of like, huh? What? I have the opposite or I sleep I a lot. I sleep so much. I'm so envious. Oh, it's great. I used to be like you. It's free joy. Everyone should do it. <laughs> Fuck you. Hey, you do some of hey, it. Hey, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Yeah, basically, yeah. If I could take a pill to eliminate my biological need for sleep, I would do it in a heartbeat. What? Um, really? Sleep is su such a chore for me, not because I don't like sleep, but because I spend more time and agony trying to sleep than I actually do having good sleep. So wouldn't the right pill to be to request is one that puts you to sleep? Not one. That... Yeah, I guess. But that's I guess the I guess the point of saying that is to highlight how unimaginable it is to me to sleep the right way. You know. Okay. Well, there's plenty of pills out there that help you sleep. I've taken all kinds of things, Michael. Okay, it's okay. I'm not right. just coming to you like with no experience here, and I don't want to take anything too. Like I don't want to get into taking Ambien and stuff like that. That's a little too intense for me. Okay. All right. I have like weird associations with people who say I would want to get rid of the sleep because they want to rise and grind. Yeah, basically because they just want to grind. I'm like, you, uh, yeah. you are a scab. I mean, I do really like being up late at night. Like, for instance, I used to, when I worked at Starbucks, I would often have shifts that started at 4.30 in the morning. And so I would wake up at like 2 in the morning and then walk to work at like 3.30 and so I kind of like being out when no one else is out. Oh, I love um, that too. It's great. And just like in the quiet, empty night. That's why you got to get on the sleep all day, stay up all night schedule. That's not, I can't, I have meetings. I have things I have to do in collaboration with other people, like record this goddamn podcast, Michael. Okay, enough of our personal frou-frou-ness. Yes, let's talk about... Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. I heard that song one time in like a Radio Shack when I was a kid, and it was like the most branded yeah. directly into my brain. Oh, I had an experience like that with you know that song, "Love Me, Love Me, Say uh, That You Love great song. Me." Love that song. I, I remember hearing that when I was like eleven or something in a subway. Mm -hmm. Back when Subway was branded with like that black and white newspaper wallpaper that was everywhere. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It was just so on the nose. It was so scandalizing to me at the time. And I love it. Wow. Okay, Tomlin. So we're back to the listener question vibe today. Today we have a question from listener Mama Bee. Hello, I've been listening to your podcast as I contemplate conversion to Judaism. One potential thing stopping me from being sure I should go through with conversion is the foggy notion that monotheism and monogamy are somehow analogous, and that I should be thinking about embracing a traditional home and lifestyle upon conversion to any major religion. I have a complicated love life. I am demisexual slash gray asexual. I'm a single mom, and I am very limited and specific in the types of relationships I'll pursue. I've had trauma, and I need alternatives to monogamy or marriage at this time. 
I've heard of Christian poly in passing, and I can insinuate that there may be a Greek influence there, but I'm not 100% certain if Judaism has its own unique take on polyamory. I'd be very interested if this topic were covered. Mm. Okay, Michael, come out of the gate with your hot take so I can correct you later. Mm. Well, hot but gentle take. Okay, I'll be gentle. I'm always very gentle, I feel. You are not, but I hear you. I hear your lies. What about, you know, Leia and Rachel? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Classic. There's a ton of people married to a ton of people in the Torah. Yeah. Tons of double wifeage going on. Double wife, double life. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Judaism has nothing to say about non-monogamy. Well, we shall see about that. Here is what I want to start off with, listener. Before I get into any of the text, I just want to say, I hope you can feel free to not pursue a quote-unquote traditional family life and romantic style if you don't want to. I want to tell you that I would say I know more polyamorous Jewish people than monogamous Jewish people, and that's because... I'm mainly in the queer Jewish community, but I just want you to know that like the Jews are out there doing it, getting wild, and at least in the queer Jewish community, no one is going to think twice. I feel more like the anomaly for being monogamous. I just want to say that before I get into any of these sources, that that is sort of like my starting point, and now we'll get into some textual stuff. So there is not that much... Talmud that is sort of saying directly like, do this, don't do that, with regard to something we might call polyamory. And that's another part of the issue of this question is that the way we think of romantic relationships and the context in which we understand them societally is really different than what the rabbis were thinking about. So the word polyamory, what it means to us, might not have meant the same thing to them. They are much more concerned about polygamy which is specifically like marriage with multiple people. And that's what a lot of our sources will be talking about today. So that's another challenge in approaching this question is that the rabbis weren't necessarily spending a lot of time thinking, or if they were thinking about it, they weren't spending a lot of time saying things about it that would go into the Talmud um, about the kind of non-marital romantic relationships we associate with polyamory. That's kind of what I meant by the Talmud probably has nothing to say. I mean, we do know that the Talmud is okay with you watching couples having sex. <laughs> we do not know that. No, by there was any that sugya that I that I brought. We have the guy hiding under the bed. Whether the Talmud approves of that action is by no means settled in that story, Michael. All right. Well, come on now. Okay. Don't All try right. to slide right. that one by me. <laughs> All right. Fine. 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 Okay. So we're gonna start with this little sugya, this little piece on Yevamot sixty-five A. Amal ehu ezel in seiv iteita uevdok nafshe. Amal Rabbi Ami av bezo yotzia uitan ketuba. Ani omer kol hanosei isha al rishto yotzia uitan ketuba. Rava Amar Nose Adam Chama Nashim El Eshto Wahud Eitle Lemizhini. In a case where someone has not been able to have children in their marriage, and they say to themselves, I'm going to go marry another woman and see if I am the problem here. Basically, trying to do some kind of bizarre scientific method process to figure out the cause of their inability to get pregnant at this time. In a case where that's happening, 
Rabbi Ami said he must divorce his wife and give her payment for her marriage contract. As I say, whoever marries a woman in addition to his first wife must divorce her and give her payment. So Rabbi Ami says, no can do, no second wife. You got to do the whole divorce proceedings. However, Amar Rava, Rava said that a man may marry several women in addition to his first wife, and there's nothing wrong with this practice as long as he has enough to support them all. Oh, okay. So this is a theme we're going to see coming up a lot today is uh, concern for the ability of people to support their many wives. Okay, so the question in initially was whether or not you can marry someone in order to do the scientific method to see if it's you who exactly can't produce the babies. And then exactly. Rav just opens the floodgates and say, no, 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 you can just do it. You can just go and marry people so long as you can support them. Yeah, Rava does open that, okay. that floodgate in this particular section. What I'm kind of doing here, because we know, right, this is really about polygamy, which is sort of this thing that intersects with polyamory, but is not necessarily the same. There's sort of a Venn diagram there. But I'm trying to get at, like, what are the sort of fundamental values that are coming out here and seems like one of them at least coming from rava is basically that you want to be able to support however many partners you take on which i think all polyamorous people can relate to the struggle to do that i think i see where you're going with this hava creating like a mm -hmm. general principle any relationship you're part of you need to be present for it with the magnitude that is required of such a relationship. Yes. So here's a, a really fun tale. This honestly could have been like an episode all on its own from the Talmud Yerushalmi, Yevamot Dafor. Umahulaha avirim wachi rabbi taufan avihin shelchol lo haerim kidei shelo meot nashim bime raavon almanat laha achilin truma. So, a person can do a trick. After all, didn't Rabbi Tarfon, who is uh, literally a father of all Israel, like a, a saint amongst the people, you know, like Rabbi Tarfon, who's, who's this great guy, didn't he do this thing where he gave Kiddushin, he married 300 women so that they could all eat the truma so that they could all eat the bread that was reserved for the priests in a time of famine so that they would not go hungry and every one of them was able to eat the truma. Oh, that's a fun little story. Yeah, so he married basically like the the population of a small city in order to give them all the ability to eat all the bread, which is great. I think there's just a lot of great values at play there. A lot of great, just like communalize Rabbi Tarfon and also communalize the bread. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, I don't know anything about Mormonism, but, but I feel like I heard something similar happened with uh, Joseph Campbell. Is that it? Joseph Smith. Oh, Joseph, Joseph Smith. Campbell is the myth guy, the power of myth. Yeah, Joseph Smith, where he married people so they could, you know, guarantee some sort of metaphysical salvation for them, like basically at a charity. Like huh. they were Mormon. They were Mormon. Suspicious. At least with Rebbe Tarfone, you could see the bread. You know, if someone gave me a choice between Rebbe Tarfone and, and <laughs> yeah, Joseph true. Smith, I'd be like, Joseph, you got to give me something better here, right? Tarfone right. has bread on the table ready to go. But it sounds like this Rabbi Tarfone, at least, would be pro-green card marriage. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. I think Rabbi Tarfone would be like, do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in the times that call for it with regards to marriage. So now we're going to get a little more into some of the practical developments over Jewish history. So we'll start with some halacha from Shulchan Aruch Evan Ha'ezel 1.9. A man may marry a number of women provided that he has the means to sustain them. And what we find is that the sages gave a worthy suggestion that a man should marry no more than four women so that he can fulfill his sexual obligation once a month. In a place where they are accustomed to only marry one woman, there they are not permitted to marry another woman. Note, it is forbidden to marry two women in two places. Oh, okay. Shulchan Aruch, our, our boy, is open to the polygamy, although maybe a little bit constrained by custom in the area. And this is a lot of what you'll hear when people ask, like, clearly people were marrying all kinds of numbers of people in the Bible. Why did we stop doing that? Although, of course, it was always just men marrying a bunch of wives. Never. It was not an egalitarian sexual society. You know, how did that change in Judaism, right? How did we become a religion that's not associated with that? And the popular answer, and one that I certainly heard when I was first starting to connect with Judaism, was that they took this same concern from Shulchan Aruch that, like, we needed to go with the local custom. We didn't want the Christians to think we were too weird. We were scared of persecution. So we just stopped being polygamous because, you know, of all of those sort of societal concerns. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. You don't buy it? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Like, I kind of wonder if all these groups of people talking about multiple wives, including the rabbis of the Talmud, and Mishnah, are these actually situations that happen in their lifetime or happened in their parents' or grandparents' lifetime? Or is this some sort of strange theoretical exercise that they're engaging in for their own personal titillation or, you know, intellectual enjoyment? You're wondering if people were having multiple wives in, in Mishnah times? I feel like people were having hella wives in Mishnah times. Yeah, like the average person had, like... I don't know, I guess. I don't know about, like, your average, average Joe Schmo, your Joe Plummer type yeah your aramaic average yosef plumber <laughs> in like second temple israel wh mm -hmm. what were they doing with with wives yeah. i don't know i would be inclined to think they probably didn't have multiple wives because they didn't have abundant sustenance yeah yeah that seems like it would have been a real roadblock seems like not a lot of people were had the means to have multiple wives i wonder if any of the temple priests had multiple wives and stuff like that you know yeah, I'm not sure. Basically, what did happen historically is Rabbi Gershom instituted a ban about a thousand years ago, instituted a ban against polygamy. And it was accepted by all Ashkenazic Jews, basically, but was not recognized at the time by Sephardic and Yemeni communities, and then over time became more widely adopted, either just through polygamy falling out of fashion or through people, more people adopting Rabbi Gershom's point of view. And he gave a couple different reasons. He said it was to prevent people from taking advantage of their wives, to prevent fighting amongst wives, concerns about husbands being able to provide appropriately. Uh, Chabad had this really great quote, the ban is intended to avoid the inherent rivalry and hatred between rival wives oh that's funny the inherent just natural darwinian oh my God. unstoppable rivalry i don't know i don't watch the like real housewives of la but those people hate each other and they're not even married to the same person 
Right, which would seem to suggest that we need more bans banning more kinds of relationships. Yeah, women should just never be allowed to hang out with each other. That's that's mm-hmm. the clearly the solution. So, the long and short of it here is clearly in Talmud times having multiple wives was not unheard of. As far as how this can be related to po- what we call polyamory today, I think we sort of have to go more for the values at the heart of the tradition because the rabbis didn't really address a legal context where someone might be having all kinds of different levels of romantic relationship with each other. At least they didn't address that explicitly. And part of that is because, you know, halacha is is this legal system and part of how it makes issues visible to us is through the language of legality. So sometimes there are issues where, like Michael said earlier, they just didn't have anything to say about it. That all being said, I think the answer to one of our listeners' questions would be, yes, Judaism has had its own unique take on poly historically, and queers have their own unique take on Jewish poly today. I remember like two years ago, maybe a year ago, if a listener went to this panel please tell me about it. There was like a panel on some conference about Jewish polyamory. So clearly people are out there doing it. And my general answer to the listener would be, there are a lot of contemporary folks to connect with about it. And there is a lot of precedent within the tradition. I think you should feel free to find your place and find your own unique way to bring your Jewish values into your relationships. Yeah, sure. And I think at a bare minimum, we can deduce that the rabbis believed that it was possible to romantically love more than one person. Whether or not you should do it, they Mm -hmm. clearly believe that it is part of the human condition that such Mm -hmm. a thing is possible. Sure. which uh, Which is something that is kind of worth mulling on, perhaps. Right. And we have to also understand that their views are clouded by all kinds of patriarchal understandings about the importance of parentage. And, you know, I mean, the whole system is is focused around men's ability to have multiple wives. So clearly they are not addressing the whole spectrum of possible romantic entanglements with totally clear and impartial. Right. But even... If you want to perceive their perspective as narrow-minded and conservative, even within that, they're admitting Mm -hmm. the reality of romantic love for more than one person, which is wild. I think that's kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like wild, but then when you think about it and you think about how many people were marrying people in in the Torah... And you're like, oh, maybe this isn't as wild as I think it is. You know, maybe actually I'm wrong here. And like, they didn't even think about romantic love in the way that I'm conceiving of it. So like, who knows? Yeah, there's a lot of possible anachronisms. Yep. So listener, I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope you can go away with a strong answer that there is a Jewish take on polyamory. There are many Jewish takes on polyamory and monotheism and monogamy are not inextricably linked. You can find some space for what you need within the tradition. So I hope these texts have been helpful to you. If you all want to get twice as many Hi, How Are You episodes, join our Patreon. Michael directs the Patreon episodes and they have a very special Michael flavor. That's right. Yep. I'm doing a series on barrel vessel. Oh, yeah, barrels. Do a barrel roll. Uh, 
it's, trust me, it's funny. Okay. And you don't get it because you don't play video games. But That's right. But barrel-themed sugyas and vessel-themed, yep. just concave-themed sugyas. Concave, a series on concave objects in Talmud. So who wouldn't want to listen to that gripping topic? There you go. And next week, regular episode will be the first in our Russian doll series. So watch season one, episode one. And please come along with us on that experimental journey. Yes. And with all that said, Shavuot Shavuot